Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cake Bites. This is your host, Katie Cakes, and with me this week is Andre Thomas. He is the founder of a game company called Triceum, which you may not have heard of yet. Um, but you're about to learn a lot about them and the amazing things that they're doing with integrating education with games. And I'm not just talking Math Blaster and Treasure Mountain. I am talking full-on <laughs> RPG-like calculus adventures. It's hard to explain. And Andre does a really great job of it, considering it's his bread and butter. Um but he's also here to talk to me about his time working for EA um, as head of graphics for a little series called Madden, and also about his time working in the film industry, doing graphic design and CGI in movies like Men in Black, Independence Day, you know, tiny little D-list films that none of us have ever heard of. So, honestly, without further ado, here is Andre Thomas from Triceum. Thomas, uh, the CEO and founder of Triceum, and uh, what Triceum is, we'll get into in a little bit, um, but what we're going to start with is Andre's time prior to working in games when he was working in film. So Andre, start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> the beginning, I built my first computer. I was a teenager. Um, I was back in Germany and created my first graphics on screen. Um, through programming and didn't have color screens back so I was still monochrome screens and you know the only way you could really get any graphics on the screen was via programming and so that's really where my passion was born for computer graphics and I played games <laughs> um, I've always played games and I still play games today so it wasn't until 94 um, when I was able to take my passion and make it my occupation. Um, I was lucky at the time. I was living in Los Angeles and got an opportunity to work for a small um, boutique company doing computer graphics. And quite a few of those graphics were for big motion pictures um, like Man in Black, Tomorrow Never Dies, um, the original Independence Day, Con Air, uh, those are, you know, some of the movies people might have heard of. So some people might have heard of. That's yes. that's amazing. <laughs> and so how long did you work in film for? I'm sorry. I worked in film for about 15 years before I moved into games. Into games? And how did your move into games work? Well, it usually is... It's been traditionally, back then, the other way around. People tried to get into films, and they couldn't. They started out in games. I actually wanted to be in games, and it was just a pure accident that I ended up doing uh, movie work. And so when I left for London and moved to London uh, in the late 90s, um, my first project was actually making a game. 
Uh, we started a little um, project trying to make a game that helps kids read and get kids back into books again because I've noticed that children weren't reading as much. And so, but I've started making the game by creating videos for it because it's the very thing I knew. Um, so I actually just recently, um, last week I was in London visiting uh, with some friends uh, at, at a conference and they reminded me of um, when we tried um, create, you know, that game pulls it all together um, back in the late 90s. And, um, and, and so what was the first game company you worked for? It was EA. So it, it was EA. I finished um, and Bully in Texas. So after London, I moved back to the States, um, to Dallas, Texas, where I worked for DNA Productions. Um, those are the guys that did Jimmy Neutron. Um, great company, really lovely people, wonderful. And we did a movie called Ant Bully. It was a full 3D animated movie. I just finished Valiant over in, in, at Ealing Studios in London and started at DNA Production. At the end of the production, unfortunately, the studio shut down and I got an offer from EA. Um, and so I started at EA Sports out in Florida. Wow. And so you went pretty straight to the big dogs, <laughs> straight to AAA. Yes. That's, that's amazing. So, so uh, what, what were you doing at, uh, with the franchise? So I started off as a CG supervisor and then became the head of graphics for not just Madden, but for all of the football franchises um, at EA Sports. So, which included college football, NFL Blitz, and um, head coach, um, and NFL Tour. We made about four football games every year. So, we're talking American football, not mm -hmm. soccer. Most um, of the games um, done. And so, I oversaw the graphics, working with artists and engineers, development uh, managers or project managers to um, really deliver the vision of the art director. Um, that had, you know, decided, okay, what are we going to do this year? Because every year there's a new Madden. Every year there was a new college football game until that stopped. Um, and, you know, you have to get it better and more exciting than the previous year because you're still asking people to pay, you know, $60 for the game. Definitely. Well, what would you say the biggest struggle in developing a game like Madden or NCAA football where you have a changing roster every year, especially on the graphics side? Were there any significant roadblocks in, in creating a game like that? Oh, absolutely. Because um, you got to think about it, we never left anything on the table. So, and I'm sure it's still happening today. Um, when you ship um, any one of those games, we always, you know, put filled up the bucket. Mm -hmm. So you have a console, you have a limited amount of memory, disk space, and you cram it full with everything you can. So you're going to fill up 100% of your resources to deliver this year's game. Well, if you have a full bucket, you can't just put something new on top of it because mm -hmm. the bucket isn't growing. The Xbox, if that's 360 or X1, isn't getting any bigger. It remains the same. And so what we have to do is have to actually find space in an already full bucket. But you have to optimize, you have to remove something, but you can't remove something that players really want. So you have to find ways of, okay, how do I 
put more into this pocket that's already forced. <laughs> so that's a major challenge. Um, the other thing we've also seen is I came um, and joined EA. It's a tran transition from um, Gen 2 to Gen 3, going from Xbox to 360 and PS2 to PS3. There was a very big emphasis. It kind of went towards movie production. Okay, we need much bigger teams, many more resources, because now you're getting into a realm where the fidelity, especially on a graphic side, you can do so many more things. But now you have very large teams, and that's not really sustainable. Um, and so then the next challenge was, okay, how do we get more into this bucket, and how do we do so with the same or less resources than we had the previous year? And so um, I think the team did a fabulous job. I mean, I worked with... Um, some of the most brilliant minds. Um, I was lucky enough to learn from them and you know, be able to do that year after year. So what brought about the end of your time at EA? So I started at EA as a shift from Gen 2 to Gen 3 happened, and I saw um, I worked through the shift from Gen 3 to Gen 4. So an entire console generation. And it was an incredible experience. I learned so much. I worked with... Um, so really talented um, individuals, really gifted, bright um, minds. And it was time for me to um, do something different. Also, um, I'm not getting younger. And throughout my entire career, even back in the early 90s when I was working on movies, I've always been involved in education. In the early 90s, I proposed um, a online VR environment to the California government where school children can roam about in a fully virtual 3D environment and, you know, enjoy themselves, do homework, have fun and learn. It was a little bit ahead of its time. What, um, was, what was their reaction to that proposal? I'm just curious. Oh, they loved it. <laughs> Nobody knew how to do this. <laughs> so that was a problem, and including myself. I had a great idea, but I frankly did not know how to pull that off and or find the resources to pull it off. So um, <clears throat> I still have that proposal back home and, and look at it. Yes. So to remind me that there's always been the threat of education throughout my entire career. And so even at EA, on behalf of EA, I would visit schools and give talks. I would advise um, universities on their strategy and obviously also recruit. So when I left EA and decided, okay, it's time for, for something different, for a new challenge uh, my career, um, I hadn't really planned to come to Texas A&M University. The university called me up when they heard that I was leaving and asked if I, could, if I would be interested in joining them and help with the gaming program here uh, because it's not quite where they like it to be. It was not nationally ranked and you know, not really something to speak of um, much. And your time at, at A&M has been... Uh, has been fantastic. Um, and I know that you have started a lot of great programs at the university. I, correct me if I'm wrong if you didn't start them, but I often hear them attribute, attributed to you, at least. <laughs> um, such as uh, like Telenium, which I had the pleasure yes. of going to kind of watch a little bit of. Um, really 
in the work that you're doing and, and really educating the next generation of game designers, I think is fantastic. Um, and we'll get back to the live lab stuff. I would love to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but so, so A&M was the first one to knock on your door. And, mm -hmm. um, or I guess we can talk about it because Tricium, I assume, comes from A&M, right? That is correct, okay. yes. <laughs> yes, Tri Tricium is a spin-off from A&M. Okay, so, so then let's talk about the birth of Tricium then. Well, so A&M came calling and we decided, uh, my family and I, why not? We liked living in Texas, having lived in California, London, Florida, and so on. Uh, we actually really enjoyed living here and we, we liked the Texans uh, very much. Said, okay, why not? Why, let's try it out and join A&M. And while at A&M, the Life Lab was born, um, because a faculty member was trying to figure out how to engage the students. Um, today's students with something um, a little more and provide some deeper context. And she got a grant to develop a game. And then when I joined, it was what a month after me joining, the department head came and asked, well, could I have a look at the game? And she was working on it maybe. Um, offer some help. And so I looked at the game and it wasn't much to look at, unfortunately. It was um, shoddy graphics, you know, the, the ones that we maybe did in the 80s. And <laughs> it looked more like an interactive textbook than a game. And she totally agreed. She said, yes, I, I don't know why. It's like, well, you, you're an art history professor. What do you know about making games? So I took on the project and really um, turned it into a game or into a prototype of a game. Before joining A&M, every time I come out, we always had, we're a public university, and you know, there's always a need for any additional funding or support. And our industry, the movie and the games industry, isn't really in a place that where they make large donations to universities or provide a lot of other resources to um, universities. And yet now, and so I would always be asked, oh, can you help us? And I was never really able to help other than offer my personal time. And I spent one summer here, um, instead of going on family vacation, I came to the school and I've taught a summer course. Um, because I always enjoyed teaching. And so helped out this way, but couldn't really offer anything else. <clears throat> but now I'm on the other side of the coin now, I am the one that has to ask for funds to do the kind of things that we want to do. And I didn't like that. And so I, what I tried to do is figure out, okay, how can I, because I like making these games, and especially learning games that can help students, can I find a way to make that sustainable? Now I tried to make a deal with a large company that they would fund the lab and they get our tested and proven prototypes but really couldn't pull it off. And at the same time, A&M suggests, well, why don't you set up a company and you license it and publish it. And so then I got together with <clears throat> my now partner, back then, good friend. He's a former CFO from EA Sports in Florida. And we put a business plan together, ran some numbers, and it made sense. And so in the fall of 2014, Tricium was born. We incorporated here in Texas and started the business, put some of our money in it, and, and got going. And, uh, and so the art history teacher, or the professor that spoke mm -hmm. with you, 
um, must have had a pretty good impact because uh, Medici was the first game that Triceum produced. Yes. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about Medici as a kind of as your groundbreaking game? Yes, sure. So Artemisenus, um, as you just mentioned, focuses on the Medici family. And it's about the economies of art. And as a player, you take on a role of a Medici banker. And the Medici bankers were powerhouse in banking in Italian Renaissance to um, really the first to patronize the arts and utilize the arts in, in a whole new way. And that's what the game is teaching you about. So life isn't black and white, um, and neither is art. Art doesn't just happen. Um, it's there for a reason. And patrons of art are there for a reason. They're, they're called patrons. And the economy is really intertwined with religion, with the art, and that's what the game teaches you. The game is not easy. Uh, many times I heard the comments, well, this is really hard. It's like, well, yes. Um, you know, that's what we call learning. Um, and we know every game teaches you because you cannot play any game without learning how to play. doesn't matter if it's Halo, if it's Monopoly, or if it's Madden. You have to learn how to play in order to play. And for any successful game out there, it has to teach you how to play. So every game is a good learning game. And so Artemis Enes was the first game that we licensed from the university and brought to Triceum because we saw many faculty across the nation and now across the world that really, I, I'd say, get it. They understand that uh, not only do they hear the numbers of 97% of students play games four hours or more every week, but they see it in their classrooms. They can witness it. And once you take a game into the classroom, once you bring that kind of affordability, interactivity as a teacher, there's nothing like it. And all of a sudden, a hundred students in your lecture hall talk about the subject matter as they're walking into the class instead of Game of Thrones. Well, what could be better as a teacher? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and you've seen Triceum's games implemented in the classroom. You've seen the method work. Um, yes. And uh, how have you seen it implemented in classrooms around the world? It's um, in different ways. So first, faculty started off using it as, well, here's some extra credit. Um, if you want to play this game, I will give you extra credit. That went to, okay, it's now a required assignment as homework to fully embed it, um, and there's a quiz on it. The last iteration that we've seen, and I think that's really a true revolution and transformation of education, is in form of a game-based course. In the fall of 17, at A&M, the first game-based course was established for students can actually earn college credit playing a video game. So no longer is a video game something that's, well, uh, it's not even just, oh, we don't talk about games because they're games uh, and they don't belong in the classroom. And that's a very outdated method of thinking. It's like saying, oh, books don't belong in the school. Um, you know, saying games don't belong there because it's another form of media. To it's become the center of the class. It's a center of which everything else evolves around. 
It was so successful <laughs> that A&M established two game-based courses with Mercedes for the spring and one um, calculus course um, using Variant. And, and Variant is your newest title yes. that you guys have produced. Correct. I don't know if you can say newest anymore. <laughs> it's, it's been out for, for a little bit. Um, it is, yeah. It's a calculus, the first in a series of four calculus games. Okay. And it focuses on limits. And it's a full 3D adventure, um, very different than any learning game most people have ever seen. Um, every time we have the conversation, our learning games, people roll their eyes and imagine, okay, just a slightly better version of Math Blaster or Oregon Trail. Then they see um, variant, it's like, oh, well, that's more like a game EA makes. It's like, yes, why shouldn't it be? Um, our students deserve um, that kind of quality, and even executives at EA um, comment and said, yes, that's the kind of game that we would make in terms of production quality. Learning should be just as, if not higher quality um, than entertainment games, and that's what we're trying to do. And Variant is the first in the series, and it's proven by the um, accolades it won in terms of awards, and it's really been noticed. Um, in this country, overseas, we're working with governments now um, that are looking to incorporate the game into national curriculum. Um, last year, in the fall, the National Academy of Science appointed me as an advisor uh, because of the work we've been doing. Congratulations. So it's, thank you. <laughs> thank you, yes. So it's really getting noticed at the highest level of academia. People are realizing, yes, we need to change the conversation. And games is another medium. It's another tool. It's a tool belt for teachers that we really got to be utilizing more effectively. Absolutely. And uh, you're doing a lot of work with the students at AM, obviously. How, are the students involved in the production of games like Artemis Tennis and Variant Limits? Absolutely, yes. Well, all of this would have never been able possible without the students. Uh, they really um, are the ones that enabled all of this. I'm just some guy that showed up and said, hey, I have a crazy idea. They're the ones that actually helped turn all of this in, into reality. Uh, the games start with the students in the lab, and we had three students originally when we started um, in the life lab, and now we have over 50 um, that are all working there. All of them are fully paid. Uh, we now have, a, um, we have paid internships in the life lab for students. The students are involved in recruitment, in performance assessments. Um, we have leadership team. Um, they're all made up of students. And the students are not only getting paid um, a wage that's um, competitive to anybody um, where they could work in, out in industry here in the city, but they're also getting a royalty. If they're working on a project that's being commercialized, they will get a royalty check for the rest of their life or for as long as the game is being commercialized. Wow. Yes. And as far as the program at Texas A&M, um, it, it's obviously a growing program. Is it very competitive? Are there a lot of students that apply to work at the Live Lab? Yes. So, uh, the <laughs> yes, it is. It, it has become um, very renowned now throughout the U.S. and also now 
um, starting to get a name in Europe. And it has, you know, really um, a lot to do with the students because they're, they're doing great work. And I mean, they're really ultimately the driving force um, behind that. And the gaming program at AIN um, four years ago, we went, nobody knew about it. Um, now we're in the top 10 um, in graduate program and the top 25 for the undergrad program. And that's out of 350 programs in the U.S. So that's driving interest. We have a lot of industry um, that is seeing the quality of our students that are coming here um, and hiring them. Um, and the students are making the games for themselves. So they know what they want to play, right, versus what, you know, what I think they want to play. So naturally... What we've seen is we don't have a talent issue. We have a lot of students that apply, that want to work in the life lab, and consequently then at Triceum and or other game companies, because we don't just make games. I mean, they get paid, they get education, because professionals from Triceum are mentoring them. So their craft is being honed. So they get um, real-world skills, um, plus, they're building a portfolio that, that gives them jobs and makes them very desirable as employees um, for any other company later on. And, of course, they're doing something meaningful, right? They're changing education. I mean, they're part of what I call um, another revolution, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing that you are empowering these students um, in, in ways that haven't really been available for them. I think because a lot of people have hesitated to take the video game industry seriously, I suppose, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. <laughs> Sometimes people see the games and they don't see all the moving parts that go into a game. Yes. Um, but one of the things that you started at A&M um, to further empower the students is, uh, is Chillenium, which is, uh, well, it's a game, de it's a game, uh, what is it, a game dev jam. Yes. And this year you guys actually achieved international status with the number of schools that you had come. Yes. Um, and those types of programs are, are becoming increasingly popular around the United States, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, that, that is correct. There was another crazy idea. Uh, mine, I came back from a conference where I heard about game jams. I never took part in one. I ran it by my students and I said, Great idea, let's do it. And I actually partnered with somebody from K-State. Uh, said, hey, let's do something together. Um, they fought 14 months from when we had this conversation. My students fought two weeks from now. So the first game jam we pulled off, or the students pulled off in two weeks. So that's that how we did it. Um, and it was in the live lab, and we had 20 or so folks there. We raised uh, about $3,000 uh, because I always felt like, okay, an event like this, 48 hours, students are getting together, making games. Uh, it's organized by students for students. We should provide them some food. And we, we found great company locally here that helped us at sponsor the first event. The second year, we thought, okay, well, can we do a little bit better? It was nice. We, everybody really loved it. And the K-State guys in Kansas State actually came down. They drove 12 hours to jam with us for 48 hours, and then they drove back for 12 hours. Uh, and so the following year, we said, okay, yes, let's do this again. It was fun. We doubled in size. We went to 40, some, I think, 44 
participants and that was the first year we actually branded it Chilenium. Um, and since then it's grown from humble beginnings to this year um, we are now international. We had two teams from Canada um, show up. We had Oh my God, I forgot the numbers. I think over 20 different universities from all over the country where to raise over $50,000 um, wow. to pull the event together. And over 340 students all showed up uh, for 48 hours. I mean, it was just uh, a spectacular event to, to see that. And thanks to our sponsors, the companies that are now not just local companies, but also national um, recognized companies have been helping us and really helping the students um, because I'm the only faculty involved and it's really all done by the students. It's organized by the students, run by the students. Um, my job is kind of to help with some advice and to raise some money because that, that's still a very difficult thing for students to do. Um, to, <laughs> to it's, it's hard to conceptualize needing to raise fifty thousand dollars when, when I'm I, when I was a student, I was like living on ramen and grilled cheese sandwiches. So yes. <laughs> fifty thousand dollars would seem a little uh, would seem a little scary. It is, it is, and it's it's kind of grown this way, and it's, it's every year it's scary um, for all of us. I mean, the planning for this year's Chileniums already started; it's already full underway. And it just kind of, you know, it just kind of goes. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, that was a crazy idea. Now it's a reality. Absolutely. Uh, I would say, you know, where but at A&M could something like this ever happen? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, definitely here, you know, thanks to the Aggies. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so you said that Variant is one of four games, the first of four. Is, is the next Variant game, the, is that the next game that's on the list? Or is there something else coming before that? Great question. No, before the next Variant game comes out, we have two more Art History games coming out. Um, and they'll be actually out in September this year. Okay. Uh, because the game-based course has been so successful that A&M really wants to have more of that. And so they really ask, okay, can we have free games to offer free game-based courses for full free credit, uh, you know, start going into core curriculum classes. And so in Variant, um, is shortly thereafter, the next free Variant games, um, but not quite September. Yeah. So <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> not, not quite. Well, we're still a young company, and while the games are really winning a lot of awards and, and getting a lot of attention, it's not the game industry. We're, we're not making millions of dollars. And it's costing us more than we're making. And so and we have to be you know, very diligent of, okay, where do we put our investments um, you know, until hopefully one day we'll be a profitable company. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Come check out our games. Um, the, the demos are available at, at triceum.com for anybody to download for free and play. We'd love to um, hear any feedback on them. Um, we're never done with them. Um, so we always will continue evolving them, developing them to make them better so they work for students. Um, and if you believe in our mission, go and pre-purchase upcoming games. Help us. Um, so we can help students and teachers um, everywhere 
um, really change education in a meaningful way. Absolutely, and I will have links to Triceum's websites, I'll have trailers, I'll have everything you need to fall in love with Triceum in the show notes for today's episode. Um, and thank you again, Andre, for taking the time to see me. I know you are very, very busy. So. Well, thank, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So you can find show notes for today's episode on cakebites.com. It's going to have links and trailers and really anything that I can find that I think will be fun for you to have about Triceum, the Texas A&M Live Lab, and everything that they've got going on um, on my website. You can also find me pretty much everywhere at Cakebites on social media, on Twitch, also on Patreon, and I've got some fun stuff coming. I finally got some physical merchandise that I'm getting ready to send out to my current patrons, and I'm working on a new mini-series for my patrons that is going to be highlighting other video game podcasters and video game podcasts that you may find interesting. So um, if you haven't taken a chance to look at my Patreon, now is the chance. It's never too late. It's very easy to find. You can Google Cake Bite. You can find me on Patreon. I promise. Um, so I will see you guys in two weeks.